Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you today. Happy Mother's Day to each and every one of you as we celebrate the gift of love that comes to us through our mothers and through other women who just show that love to us in so many ways. Today is a special kind of Mother's Day because every once in a while, every few years, Mother's Day falls on May 8th, and May 8th happens to be my mom's birthday. So today is both a happy Mother's Day and a happy birthday to my mom. I love you, uh, and uh, I hope to see you soon. She's down in Texas right now, so she'll catch up a little bit later with this. But um, love you, Mom. I'm, I'm so grateful for you. Um, mothers and the gift of mothering are intended to be a unique expression of God's love, God's divine love in an earthly form to each and every one of us. As a matter of fact, this kind of divine love shows up repeatedly throughout the scriptures. The scriptures give testimony to God's love showing up to us in this mothering fashion. Let me give you some examples this morning. Isaiah 66, 13 says this, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. God the Father, speaking in that first person of that kind of love, the love of a mother comforting her children. And in Isaiah 49, 15, we hear these words, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. Same kind of love and compassion shown to us by God. And in Psalm 71, we get this imagery of, of a midwife, of delivery, and, and God operating in that role. David says, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. And then finally, Jesus himself, in speaking over Jerusalem, uses this metaphor of, of a hen and her chicks and says it this way, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. So this kind of love is an expression of God's divine love. It's a rich, rich gift to each of us, and it's a form of love that is expressed outwardly and inwardly in our community. We've been talking about love in community over these past couple of weeks, studying the letters of the apostle John, John who was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he shares this love so specifically and so repeatedly in his letters. No place else in scripture is love mentioned more than in the letters and even in the gospel of the apostle John. It shows up again and again and again. Why is this so important? Why is it there so frequently? I think there are a couple of reasons why. First of all, John was most likely the last of the apostles to die. And he was also the last one to write an account of Jesus' life in the gospel according to John. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think John in his later life was realizing that over the years and over time, sometimes the message of Jesus and even the person of Jesus started to get confused. God's community started to, to drift in some different directions, and, and John, in his deep love for his community and his love for Jesus, wanted to set the record straight by making sure to put both in the gospel account of Jesus and in his letters the person of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, 
his love and his expression of that love to the entire world. John wanted to make sure that that was happening, and so he did that. And also, John's community and communities, the many churches that John founded, were founded during a time when there was a lot of external persecution and internal corruption of Jesus' message. And under those kind of circumstances, again, it can be easy to withdraw or run away or, or start to change this message of Jesus to accommodate the world around them. And John would have none of that. John wanted to be sure that this true message of the real Jesus and his teachings was preserved and continued and honored, the most important of which was his command to love one another. And that brings us today to the second letter of John. And we're going to turn there together this morning. If you've got your Bibles out, you can open up to John. Second, actually, Second John. It's right towards the back part of the Bible. There's Revelation, and you back up one book, and you'll get to Jude. And you back up one more, and you'll come to Third John, and one page over to Second John. It's just a 13 verses, 13 short verses. So we're going to read the entire Second letter of John. You okay with that? Can you hang with me in that? All 13 verses. We're going to read this. You can follow along in your Bibles as I read. Starting at verse 1. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who did not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. John writes a short letter, but it is long in meaning, filled with richness. He starts off with an unusual address. He says, to the lady chosen by God, and to her children, whom I love in the truth. Now, there's two different ways that scholars have tried to kind of sort this out. Is John writing to an actual woman and her children? That's one possibility, but it's not the most likely possibility. The most likely possibility 
is that this is a metaphor that John is using for a local congregation and its members. Oftentimes we hear in Scripture references to the church in a feminine form, the bride of Christ, as a matter of fact. And that may be just what John is doing here as well, is, is speaking in a little bit of a coded way to this congregation that he loves and that he has planted. We thought it was kind of funny that without planning this, Pastor Angie and I mapped out what the weeks would be, and this one just happened to fall on Mother's Day. And we're like, well, the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. It's right there, it is, to, to the mother and to her children, to the lady and to her children. He sends this message. And there are two words that show up repeatedly in this message, truth and love, love and truth. As a matter of fact, both of them show up exactly five times in this letter, just in the first few verses. I don't think that's an accident. I think John wanted to be sure that this balance, this connection between truth and love is held together because it is so easy for us as human beings to separate these two in both our thinking and in our actions. We sometimes play them off one another. Well, I've got love, whereas you're just only interested in truth. No, 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 I'm standing on the truth, and all you're interested in is love. Listen, John is making it very, very clear that these two go hand in hand. They walk beside one another, walking in truth and walking in love. Neither one meant to get to the head or to behind, but right alongside one another. For followers of Jesus, they are inseparable. And we are challenged to walk in love and walk in the truth. Now what happens when we start to separate these out is we tend to, to go off on some, some rabbit trails, I would say. See, love without truth becomes sentimentalism. Sentimentalism. Now, if you don't know what that means, to be sentimental isn't in and of itself something that's bad. Sometimes we're sentimental about our children or we're sentimental about a particular object maybe that was given to us by someone we love. Or maybe your child is, is sentimental about a teddy bear or a stuffed animal or something that they have and it's something that they just hold really dear. That's okay. But when it becomes sentimentalism, then it becomes something that just kind of dominates the way that they see things. There may not be necessarily anything rational connected to the fact that they, they love that object. When it's separated from the truth, when the truth is dismissed, well, then that love can just become this sentimental kind of love, a pure emotionalism. Not that emotion in and of itself is bad. It's good. It's a gift from God. But it must be connected to the truth. But the opposite is also true. Truth without love becomes judgmentalism. Now again, judgment, not a bad word. We, we walk in judgment. We have to judge things as things that are good and bad. We do that all the time. But judgmentalism is when that dominates the way that you see things and the way that you see people. When you see them not through the lens of love, but only through the lens of judgment. That's what happens when truth has no heart, or love has no mind. These two are meant to be right with each other all the time. So what kind of love are we talking about? Not just human love, which is a rich and beautiful thing, but God's love, God's agape 
love. And God's agape love is unlike any kind of human love. We can aspire to it, but we can never live it out fully in the way that Jesus has. In the fullness of God. This is God's love. It is an unconditional love. It is an overwhelming kind of love. It's full of action. It's full of promise. It is unrelenting in its pursuit of the one who is the object of God's love. Do you want to hear what this love sounds like? Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. Just listen to this kind of love. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Do you hear that, that powerful kind of love? A love that's expressed in a lot of motherly kinds of actions there too, right? Being formed, being shaped, being brought into life. All of it is there in this kind of God's love. It's a powerful love. It's the kind of love that God expresses, and it's the kind of love that embodies who Jesus is. Jesus lived this kind of love. This kind of love that sought out the one who was distant, the one who looked to find the one who was lost, who bridged the gap towards those who were set aside or overlooked in the world. This is that kind of love. This is the kind of love that God shows to us. And it's the kind of love that we are called to walk in as we live in community. A Jesus kind of love, a God kind of love, agape love. This is the truth of Jesus' love, and we must walk in it. So now why is John so concerned for this congregation and its members who addressed in this letter? He's got some strong language and some strong words of warning for them. It's because they had started listening to teachers who denied the truth about who Jesus really was, and as a result, they were no longer walking with Jesus. They were running ahead of Jesus. Do you hear that right in the text? Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. It's a warning, a warning about running ahead instead of walking with. Can any parent or mother relate to what happens when your children run ahead of you? When they get out of sight or even run away from you? I've got an example. <laughs> it was many years ago. I was in front of my first congregation. 
We can't seem to remember whether I was preaching or whether I was leading worship, but in any fashion, I was up front in a sanctuary with a big center aisle going down the middle. And my oldest son at that time, Jared, was two and a half years old, and Ethan was a newborn. And my wife was out in our area called the Commons, kind of the, the foyer area out there, and she was nursing Ethan and trying to keep track of Jared, and Jared was not happy. He was not happy with whatever level of attention he was getting or not getting what he wanted. He was frustrated and getting angry. And the moment that the sanctuary doors opened, Jared made a break for it. <laughs> Ran into the sanctuary, screaming, hollering at the top of his lungs, right down the center aisle of the sanctuary. Got halfway up it, flopped down, prostrate before the Lord... <laughs> And had the biggest temper tantrum of his young life. A moment later, my wife came in, still holding Ethan, marched right up the aisle, found Jared where he lay, grabbed him by the hand, and pulled him out of the sanctuary. Yes, we're the Vicks. Glad to meet you. Parents, if you think I don't have a great deal of compassion for those of you who run into times where your kids are kicking or screaming or crying or yelling, hey, believe me, it doesn't bother me a bit. <laughs> that same boy, by the way, is paying for dinner tonight to take his mother out. <laughs> so there's hope for the future, just so you know. It's not good when our kids run away from us or run too far out ahead of us. This is the picture that John is painting here. We're to walk in truth and love, and that means walking with Jesus, not out ahead of him, not away from him. And specifically, John is addressing one way in which some teachers were running away from Jesus, getting away from the truth of who Jesus was. They were denying that Jesus actually came in the flesh as a real human being. Friends, one of the biggest challenges to the Christian faith throughout all of the centuries has been to deny that Jesus was born fully human and fully God. It's a hard thing to wrap our limited human brains around, that Jesus could be fully man and fully God. And so over time, some people have started to drift away from that, either saying that, well, no, you know, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He wasn't really a human being. He was mostly divine. He was more divine. So he didn't actually take on real human flesh. Or the other extreme that has said that, well, no, he did come as a human being. He wasn't really God, though. He was just kind of, kind of God's representative, kind of just a good example for us to follow. Listen, all of those things are not the truth about who Jesus is. And anyone who teaches these things is not teaching about Jesus. They're teaching against Jesus, against Jesus the Christ, anti-Jesus, anti-Christ. That's where that term comes from. That's what it means. It means to speak something about Jesus that is not true. Friends, that's why John is so adamant here. He doesn't want this fledgling church 
to buy into these false teachings about who Jesus really was because the person of Jesus is what's central. We say things in in the Apostles' Creed, which we often like to recite here. The Apostles' Creed is that that boundary that the church helped to, to listen to the scriptures and then develop so that we can keep the main thing the main thing. And within the the Apostles' Creed, we have great language that talks about who Jesus really was, the person of Jesus. Not a ton about what he taught, but about the actual person of Jesus, the one who was born of a virgin, a real human being, but from the Holy Spirit, truly and 100% God, who lived an actual physical life, suffered in a trial, and was crucified under a real person named Pontius Pilate actually died and then was actually physically raised from the dead to new life. And then one more thing. He will return to judge the living and the dead. I think that's a really important thing that sometimes we misunderstand. Jesus is really going to return. And when he returns... That's when the judging happens of the living and the dead. Not now. Not in this season. Not by you and me. Unfortunately, I see a lot of talk that happens within the church and around the church that seems to think that it's our job to pick up Jesus' job description of judging the living and the dead. Nope. That's not our job description. That one belongs exclusively to Jesus. Jesus gives us our job description. Love one another. That's our job description. We do the loving, leave the judging to Jesus. He'll take care of it, and he'll do it way better than any of us will. See, that's what happens when we start to run out ahead of Jesus. Or think we know better than Jesus. We don't want to run ahead of Jesus. We don't want to run away from Jesus. We don't want to lag behind Jesus. We want to follow him right up next to him where he invites his disciples to be. Because that's what he does. Come and follow me. Be right here with me. Walk with me. And when Jesus calls us to walk with him, we got to trust that he sets the pace. Jesus sets the pace of our walking. He knows when it's time to slow down. He knows when it's time to accelerate. And he informs us of this. In fact, he has given us a gift so that we truly know how to follow him. That gift is the Holy Spirit who Jesus says in John's gospel will guide you into all truth. Jesus commands us to love, says the Holy Spirit will guide us into truth and will keep us focused on the one who is the way and the truth and the life, who is, again, Jesus. If you look at these passages from John and they start to sound like they're kind of circular logic, like it's like, Wow, so it's like, so Jesus is the truth, and the truth is Jesus, and, and Jesus tells us to love, but God is love, and, and we're, to, we're to love as Jesus loved and love one another, and so we obey his command, and his command is to 
love, and that's the truth, and so we follow the truth. Yeah, exactly. If you stay on that circle, you'll be right there with Jesus. And he won't let you down, and he won't send you off, and you won't run away, and you won't get left behind. Stay right there with Jesus and let him set the pace for how we walk in love in our community. That's his command. So how can we learn to do this better? Well, of course, we we listen to the Holy Spirit. We allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. And then we see things through that lens, through the lens of love and the truth of who Jesus is. You know, many of you get a regular email from our church It's an email that talks about serving opportunities, opportunities to pour out love in our community. And there's a list that will be on there. And sometimes it might be one of those things where familiarity just kind of leads you to be like, oh, yeah, okay, there's that email from the church. Delete. Don't do that. Take a moment every time that email comes to open it up, to look at it, and to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you pointing me to? Jesus, where would you like me to go? How would you like me to pour out love this week? Maybe it will be one of the things that's on that list. Maybe it won't be. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But don't start neglecting it or forgetting it or deciding to just figure it out for yourself. Listen and spend time. When you see that, let it open up to you. They're not just noise. These are the opportunities that the Holy Spirit has given us to walk in as a congregation, as God's people, as his children. So let's walk that walk. Let's walk in love and in the truth, never letting one get ahead of the other, and never letting ourselves get ahead of Jesus. We can walk that out in this community. This community will see that. They will see Jesus in us and come to know and love him too and receive his love. That's the good news. Let's walk and keep pace with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, today as we come to you, we recognize our own human limitations and we realize, Lord, that uh, in our own rebelliousness, Father, there are times where we run ahead of your son or where we run away from him or where we lag behind. Lord, you have called us today instead, Lord, to walk right with you. And you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth of who you are. Father, remind us of that today. Forgive us, Lord, when we have gone our own direction. Help us today by your Holy Spirit to see what you are at work doing in the world and join you in it. To listen to the call of this body right here of which you are the head, of this part of your bride right here to be led by you. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift today. We receive it. We love you. Help us to love one another. We pray this today, Jesus, in your name. Amen.